the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time for Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Dr. Chen is the pastor at Grace Church of the Bay Area, a church committed to glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ through verse-by-verse expository preaching to learn exactly what God has revealed in His Word. Now, here's Dr. Chen with today's message. We have been studying through the epistle of 1 Corinthians, and in our study of 1 Corinthians, we've come across two major themes. First is the wisdom of God. The Apostle Paul spoke about this in length. The gospel is the wisdom of God. And all that it encompasses, not just the meat of the message, the foundation of the Christian life, but also the method by which we announce it, the method by which we deliver and proclaim this message, how Paul planted churches, how he evangelized both in, uh, to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And so we saw the wisdom of God. The second major theme that we have seen, we came across just a couple weeks ago, and that was the building of God, the church, the local church. Remember, uh, you have to be reminded, and as you read through this, that the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a specific church, and so he's addressing that local church in Corinth as a whole, and of course, the lessons apply to all local churches throughout history and all over the world. So, the wisdom of God and the building of God or the construction of God, which is the local church, the temple, but not the physical temple, the spiritual temple, the church, all true churches. Unlike the previous two temples, the church is not a physical structure. It is a people, but no less holy and no less inhabited by God himself which is why we are referred to as Christians and as the local church as the temple of God. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, and we will see this very teaching. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 through 17, and if you are joining us, whether live this morning, or I shouldn't say live, in person this morning or uh, through the live stream, you know, uh, or you may not know, that we have been studying 1 Corinthians verse by verse, if not word by word. That is uh, what we do here at Grace Church of the Bay Area, simply uh, because we believe that the Bible is God's Word, and if someone as important as God has spoken to us, and only through His Word, we better get it right. And what better way to get it right to go slowly and to dig deep word by word? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 17 say this, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. This morning I want to give you four attributes of the church as the temple of God. 
And what we see in these four attributes are not only wonderful truths that keep us as believers focused on God in praise and thanksgiving for what He has done in and through us, for us, but as we will see, these four attributes also serve as a warning, as a warning to those who would seek to tear down or harm the church, as a warning to those who are unbelievers that would come and spread false doctrine or even worldly wisdom. Well, let's move along and see the first attribute of the church as a temple of God. The first is that we are a sanctuary. We are a sanctuary. Now, the picture and understanding of what it means to be the temple of God is made full or fuller in the next attribute of the church as a temple of God. And number two is we have the Spirit. We have the Spirit. And that's the Holy Spirit. Look at the second part of verse 16. And I think it is fitting that though, as I mentioned earlier, he will address the Holy Spirit in every believer, he starts here in addressing the major issues, which he knows is a heart issue. It flows out into a church issue, but it's a heart issue in the Corinthians. He starts with the local church. The local church is the holy of holies. Now taking a step back, speaking of the context, let's look at what he's doing here in regards to the Corinthian church. Again, taken as a full sentence, verse 16 is a rhetorical question. Corinthians, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? The phrase, do you not know, is a literary device that Paul uses some ten times in this epistle alone. And it's a rhetorical question phrased in the negative. Do you not know? But the rhetorical question demands a positive answer. That's why it's rhetorical. He's not really answering or asking for an answer. He knows that they know the answer is a resounding yes. Do you not know? Yes, we know. Yes, we know. But there's more. The grammar that Paul uses here shows an accusatory tone. This is loving, yes, but it's not pleasant. Gracious, yes, but it's not friendly. This is an accusatory tone. It has an intensity to it. It's not like, hey, do you not know? It's surely you know this. Look at you. I am a Paul. I am of Cephas fighting each other. Surely you know this, right? You know this. Come on, Corinthians. He is addressing an issue that should be fundamental to their thinking and should flow into and preventing the big sinful issue that he's addressing. And we know that perhaps in just practicality, this truth, at least the severity of it, has escaped their notice. Otherwise, they wouldn't be acting the way they are acting. Remember, they are fighting within the church, and they're using church leaders as the source of their fighting. It's pride. It's saying, I'm better than you because I'm going to say I'm aligned with Paul. Well, I swear my allegiance to Peter, and, and they just fight. And then the super holy ones, well, I am of Christ. But it's just another way to say, I'm better than you. And you remember that these factions, these teams, these groups, Paul, Cephas, Apollos, and especially Christ, they didn't want that. They didn't say, who's on my team? They didn't even fight each other in their ministry. Apollos didn't come and say, I know what Paul told you, but we're going to change everything. 
And so whether it's this sin or any other sin, he's saying, don't, don't you get it? Don't you know who you are? And to be sure, it is in response to their sinful behavior that Paul not only asks this question, but asks it in this way. What are you doing? Don't, don't you know that you are a temple of God? Don't you know that the Holy Spirit resides in you? Obviously, you're, you've forgotten if you're acting like this. In other words, because the temple of God indwelt by God doesn't do this kind of thing. Doesn't act like this. Now, we understand that they're believers. He's not saying they're unbelievers. We can act contrary to how God wants us to. We know that. It's called sin. You're, you're, you're clocking out of work. So simple now because you're on Zoom and then you just switch to look at inappropriate sinful things online. Don't you know that you are temple of God indwelt by the Holy Spirit? You're constantly angry at your husband. You're giving your wife the silent treatment. Don't you know who you are? You're seeking the approval of man. You consider yourself better than others. You're judging the heart, condemning her behavior. Don't you know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? We have the Spirit. Print it, write it, paste it on, the, on your computer. Put it to, uh, as a reminder on your rearview mirror, whatever it may be. Don't you know who you are? You're getting mad. Don't you know who you are? You're getting frustrated. Don't you know who you are? You're being unloving. Don't you know who you are? Are you going to lose your salvation? Of course not. Is God going to send down a lightning bolt? Of course not. Are you going to face His wrath? No, we talked about this last week. But this is not who you are. And this isn't like our, our hands are tied. I so want to do this, but uh, temple of God, I have to do this. This is about worship. This is about joy. This is about living the way you're supposed to be living. You have the Spirit. I think... You know, some of us, when we were younger and we got saved and maybe we're slowly learning the Scriptures and someone brought this up, right? For those of you who are saved as a kid or went to church as a kid, wasn't that the scariest thing uh, when someone said, you know, God sees everything you do. <gasps> what? Uh, what? Nothing, huh? You know, and all of a sudden you're thinking about all the lies and all the things you did in secret and whatever, you know, all that stuff. But then the years pass and it's just a doctrine, it's just a verse, it's just a theology, and you sin. You start thinking of the best put-downs. You start logging into that improper site, all the while knowing that the Holy Spirit is in you. All the while knowing that though you may have forgotten your password, God remembers it. He knows everything. He's right there, and yet we still do it. And so you can see why Paul could be so forceful and say, come on. You know this. Cut it out. Well, time's getting away from us. Let's move on. The third attribute of the church as a temple of God, we carry significance. We carry significance. You could also say we carry security, and you'll see what I mean by that in a second. Look at the beginning of verse 17. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. That's pretty powerful stuff. This shows us how important the church is to God. This shows how important we are to God. This is old school. Eye for an eye, lex talionis. He destroys my temple, I destroy him. Destroy in both uh, instances that Paul uses it here means to corrupt, to ruin, to spoil. 
The corruption of the church would be done by an unbeliever. How do we know it's an unbeliever? Because he says he will destroy him and he only destroys unbelievers. The person could be from outside the church or within the church. Wait a minute, you said it's an unbeliever. Sure. Unredeemed attender of the church. Right? How many of you? Same thing, right? Going to church, I went to church whole life and it wasn't until this conference and in college I realized that I wasn't saved and I was a hypocrite and I got saved. Well, you were an unbelieving member of that church since high school, since junior high, since you were four or whatever. That's what I'm talking about. Whether it's someone who knows they're an unbeliever and wants to come and cause problems or someone who thinks they're saved and everyone else thinks they're saved. doesn't matter, but they're in the church. Or it could be someone from outside trying to come in and cause problems. And maybe they're not even trying to cause problems. Maybe they're trying to do good. Maybe they're saying, hey, you Christians, look, I, it's hard out there. I know you guys, you Christians are nice and whatever. And don't you know that as Christians, you should do this? Don't you know that the world's going this way? Don't you know that our nation is going this way? As Christians, you should do da, 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 da. And all of a sudden, there's worldly thinking going in. Right? So inside or out, doesn't matter. And although different, the connection to the physical holy of holies is helpful. Because anyone other than the high priest who entered the holy of holies dropped dead. Even the high priest, if he entered on the wrong day or improperly, dropped dead. Here's the thing. You've read the Old Testament. You know all these rules and regulations. There's all these things that perhaps you read and you go, they would be killed for that? They would be stoned for that? And so it was in the hands of the people, the leaders of Israel, the leaders of the various tribes, to kill people who violated the law. Praise God that's not the case today. But in this particular case... A misentrance into the Holy of Holies, the people would not have to kill him because God would do it himself immediately. Similarly, those who defile the church, those who infiltrate the church, those who hurt God's people will be destroyed by God. It is not our place to do that. I shared that with the kids this morning in the lesson. Vengeance is the Lord's, not ours, especially in things like this. Now, we're not told what either of these destructions look like, someone who destroys the temple or how God would destroy that individual. Clearly, within the church, there's some sort of connection to what Paul has been addressing, the arrogance and boasting that the Corinthians are practicing. This is clearly not the wisdom of God, but the wisdom of man, the type of things that divide the body of Christ. Because, again, we're talking about the local church. Maybe it's bringing in lies and deception that convince the church to pursue the ways and the wisdom of the world. This is bad. This is how a church is destroyed. When you pull it or try to break it from its foundation of the gospel and you say, yeah, I get that we're growing. We need to grow more. And so, you know, Google does this. You know, IBM back at, when it's really growing, it did this. I read this book by Lee Iacocca at our church. We should do this, Right? And so we're not just talking about, again, a physical building or numbers or things like that. It is bringing in things that don't align with the gospel. Now, of course, there are certain gray areas or secular things that we can use in the church to help us. Non-Christians use chairs. We sit on chairs. We don't sit on the floor. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about infiltrating and getting the minds of the people in this kind of sin and where now they're fighting. And remember, if you if you been around, you might remember a few weeks ago where we talked about this was normal in back in that day, right? In the Roman Empire, 
You needed to fight to see who was better than who, whose religion was better than who, and even you know, members of parliament and which, which emperor was better than that emperor and all those types of things. And so infiltrated the church. And this is corrupting, spoiling the church. And for the destruction levied by God, again, we know this speaks of an un- unbeliever because only unbelievers face destruction or wrath. Now, clearly this is a warning. And there are many such warnings in the Scriptures for those who would profane or destroy the temple of God. And again, this shows our significance to God. And because of this significance, there is security. He is not promising that this would never happen. It happened in the early church, in the lifetime of the Apostle Paul. But there is security in that God will take care of the evildoers. Security in knowing that Should there be defilement in our church or any church, God will be the avenger. And it's not that we as a church don't take steps to protect the temple. This is what encouragement and confrontation is, the process of church discipline, one of the many tools we have that God has given us to keep the temple holy and pure. But we don't exact vengeance on people. We don't try to destroy them. Ultimately, that is in God's hands. And this makes sense because as much as we love and take ownership of the church, it is ultimately His. We take comfort in the fact that it is He who dwells within us. So, it is especially appropriate that in this situation, we rely on God's declaration, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And as much as this is a warning to others, This is a huge encouragement to us. The love, affection, and protection from God. That He cares so much that He doesn't, as in many cases, say, love your enemy, turn the other cheek, share the gospel with them, all things we should do, lovingly and graciously and willingly, But in this scenario, he says, I will destroy them. Well, we have seen the sanctuary, the spirit, the significance and security. Finally, number four, the fourth attribute of the church as the temple of God, we possess sanctity. We possess or display sanctity. Look at the end of verse 17. Why does he destroy? For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. And you think about all of these wonderful promises and thoughts and descriptions of the temple, and he says, this is who you are. You are holy. The temple of God is holy. Again, Paul tells the local church that they are the temple of God, and as such, we are holy. And when we talk about holiness, there are two kinds. Okay? It might get conv- confusing because these two, I'm using the theological words that we would use if you picked up a theology book. They sound the same. Stick with me. There's positional holiness. So just think of your position, right? Uh, Probably not position like pose or something like that, but position on the team, right? I'm the kicker. I'm always going to be the kicker or whatever it may be. I'm first string, always going to be first string, okay? And then there's practical holiness, like what, what you do. Let me start with the second. Practical holiness, as it sounds, is practical actions. It is, it is pursuing 
with the help of the Holy Spirit, but by your own volition and effort, holy living through righteous deeds, through obedience, right? When God says, be holy, do holy things, repent, obey, it means do good, obey God, love Him, serve Him, all those things. Now, practical holiness is ever-changing, right? When you practice sin, you are not being holy in this sense. That's practical holiness. Positional holiness is speaking of our position, which will never change before God. Your positional holiness does not change because you are saved. Jesus died for your sins and rose again. You are the elect. Nothing will change your position, your standing, your title in God's eyes. And that's what this means, the positional holiness. We are holy, or sacred is another word, because of Christ. That's the word that Paul is using here. He's not talking about practical holiness, because that that wouldn't make sense, right? He wouldn't say, you are the temple of God, and I'm rebuking you for not acting like the temple of God, but because you're the temple of God, you always act holy. That wouldn't make any sense because this this very statement is to reinforce his rebuke of the Corinthian sin. He is talking about positional holiness. He says, again, don't you know who you are? This is how God views you. This is how God made you, how he has called you. And so he's saying you are holy. Now, I want to make a very clear distinction regarding holiness and the indwelling of the Spirit. In Solomon's temple or even the second temple, the sanctuary, or the Holy of Holies, was made holy because of God's presence. It's like the ground uh, surrounding the burning bush. One of the first things that he says to him, God says to Moses, is take off your sandals because the ground that you are standing on is holy. What made the Holy of Holies holy was God's presence. And you see the pattern in where I'm going with this. God doesn't indwell the church because it is holy on its own. It is holy because God indwells it. That's very important. Without God's presence in our church, you would just be a bunch of unfortunate saps hanging around, watching the same boring guy talk your heads off week after week, every Sunday at 11. But it's different because you are holy, because the Holy Spirit indwells this church. We are a holy people. And in in, in any given place, including one as wicked as Corinth, God makes his home in the heart of his people, the church. And when you connect the wrathful destruction promised in the beginning of the verse with the holiness of God's people, the severity of judgment makes sense. It's justified. By virtue of the fact that we are redeemed, we are by nature, redeemed nature, set apart. We are holy. So it only makes sense that God would destroy anyone who threatens the practical holiness that should emanate from the position of holiness. Did I lose you there? They're not acting holy. And he's threatening anyone who made them not act holy by bringing in worldly wisdom and putting in their 
minds the idea of these factions. And that's where the judgment is. Anyone who would come into the church or rise up from within it that would make us live practically unlike what we are positionally. Think about this, right? He's talking about destruction. This is serious stuff. We're, we're talking about corrupting a people, corrupting their minds, and corrupting the actions of a blood-bought people. Of course he wants to destroy. Of course he takes that seriously. And as scary as that is for the corrupter, this, for you believers, should give you a skip in your step as you understand what you mean to God because of what He has done for you. And again, you're holy positionally because of what He has done for you. Because of what He has given you. You are set apart as a people for Him. And so, church, you are the temple of God. And His Spirit dwells in us. So act like it. We are a sanctuary. We have the Spirit. We carry significance and thus security. And we possess sanctity, holiness set apart. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him For the temple of God is holy, and that is what we are. Let's pray. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Tune in next week for a continuation of this message. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You're invited to join them for worship service in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit the website gracebayarea.org for directions and other information or to view a live stream of the service. As a listener-supported program, we ask that you consider making a tax-deductible donation so that we can continue to share Pastor Rogers' teaching with you each week. Donations can be made through the website gracebayarea.org. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.